Hi everyone, this is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show, and this show is for anyone that has a passion for making anyone healthier in this world, other than themselves. And uh, I'm super excited today to have Pradeepta Komanduri on the show. Pradeepta is the Vice President of Clinical Support Services at Seattle Children's. Really enthused to have her on the show. We haven't really dove deep too much from a children's hospital perspective yet, and Anyway, Pradeepta, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Anthony. I'm excited to be here. Well, thanks. Thanks again for joining. And, you know, what I'd love to hear about first is about you and your origin story. How did you get started? How did you get into this field? Take us back and, and, and walk us through. Sure. Um, so, let's see. Growing up, I think I always had this affinity for healthcare. I came from a family of engineers and teachers and um, non-healthcare professionals, but I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something different. Um, I just recall back to my own pediatrician when I was little. His name was Dr. Quacko, actually, and I just adored him. He was just so nice and funny, just a really good physician. Um, we had a really close family friend who was actually in medical school, and so she'd always let me play with her stethoscope and kind of tinker around with all the toys she'd bring home. Um, so I always just had this affinity. I always thought I would become a physician. Um, my first job in a hospital, I was a patient transporter and then a tech. Um, but when I started college, um, I kind of went towards that pre-med route. Um, and so I majored in physiology. Um, I love science, but I think as I kind of got into it, um, I started to realize that there are things outside of what physicians do, and I just really didn't have a good understanding for it. Um, I guess admittedly, I probably was maybe procrastinating the MCAT a little bit, but I did decide to get my master's um, in healthcare administration um, as I continued to kind of study. Um, and I always thought I'd go back to medical school, but when I did my postgraduate fellowship, I just kind of fell in love with this idea of making system level changes um, and perhaps someday creating programs that impacted an entire community. So mm -hmm. um, I just kind of stuck with it. And, uh, you know, we landed here in Seattle Children's and, you know, just being in an organization like this, it's so exciting. Um, I just have the, I have the privilege of serving kids. Um, we have such an amazing mission and just working with a multidisciplinary team to really just progress that care delivery model is so exciting. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess my origin story, I have to be honest, um, I'm not totally sure how I got here, but <laughs> um, I do feel like, you know, I owe my career to just really wonderful mentors and bosses. Um, they took a lot right. of chances on me. Um, so yeah, I mean, they just, they really challenged me to dive into diverse and complex situations. Um, I've never really said no to an opportunity that was thrown mm -hmm. my way. Um, mm -hmm. And between that and kind of being in the right place in the right time, um, I was lucky to really climb the career ladder pretty quickly. Um, so I've had this wonderful opportunity to do everything from hospital operations, ambulatory operations, service lines, IT project management, just so many things. And so mm -hmm. um, I'm really grateful for that learning. And hopefully at the end of my career, I can look back and feel like I've had some kind of an impact on healthcare. So um, right. Yeah, it's been fun. No, it's it's super super cool, super intriguing, and fascinating background. And you know, to play it back a little bit, it sounds like you know the the empathy, care, and the little nuances that you know your your childhood physician, Doctor Quacko, um, 
was focused on, that was pretty intriguing, right? And like, how do you grow and scale that? And so it's pretty fascinating that, you know, you took the route of focusing more on systems and scale, you know, how, how can you scale that applying, you know, process improvement and, and quality focus at a system level? It's like, I call it, you know, in healthcare, you can work on the machine or you can work in the machine and there's, there's, there's glory and beauty and bravery to be done on both, right? And so it's it's super exciting how you've culminated your background to focus in this area and to do it in 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 um, you know in the the child and pediatric space. Um, let me ask you, Pradeepta, how is a children's hospital different than a regular hospital? Like, what are the differences that make a difference? You know, it's funny. I'm still learning that. I'm fairly new to the pediatric mm-hmm. space um, in really a freestanding um, hospital. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's easy to think about kids as little adults. And the reality is it's just not the case. Um, I think one thing that I'm learning is that it's really striking, actually. Uh, you know, not only are we managing very specific medical issues, whether those are chronic or acute issues. But as we're doing that, the children are actually developing. I mean, they're physically, mentally, emotionally changing. Mm -hmm. Um, And just that pace of growth is so significant. I mean, you think about how a baby turns into a toddler, to a kid, to a teenager, um, that moves so fast. And so it sounds kind of obvious, but, you know, it kind of forces this patient-centered approach that's a little bit different than how the rest of healthcare, I think, functions. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of really forces that conversation and that engagement around what's clinically appropriate, what's valuable. um, And really, you just kind of watch the care teams go through the process of really balancing what's natural growth versus what's actually driven by the condition. So I'm still learning a lot about it, but it's very different um, Mm -hmm. probably than what I expected. (laughs) Uh, But it's really amazing um, just how the teams take care of our kids here. Interesting. Super interesting. Yeah, no, it seems like there's these nuances and differences that, 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 um, you know, need to be considered, um, significantly sounds like Seattle children's is, is definitely at the forefront of that. Um, present wise, you know, so you took us a little back in terms of how you got started and led you to this point topics and, you know, projects, topics, or fields in health that have you passionate today. What has you excited about health today? I feel like there's so many exciting things going on. Um, I think for starters, just the support that's out there for different lifestyle needs and dietary needs. Again, sounds kind of simple, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up a vegetarian and this sounds very silly, but there were not nearly as many options to eat out. So we would eat home all the time. Um, which was great. But now it's like you can go to restaurants and, you know, if you're gluten free, you're vegan, you're vegetarian. I mean, there's so many options for people. And I think there is this broader awareness. I think there is respect for people's choices. Um, So as one example, you know, I think um, transparency of ingredients, having plant-based options. Um, I think the amount of access people have to online resources, whether that's fitness or um, information about health, I think it really makes it possible for more people to do the right thing for their health if they choose to do so. Um, So that's actually pretty exciting. And I think The other piece of that is um, I know millennials kind of get a bad rap a little bit for um, Mm -hmm. being a little bit demanding in the work environment. But, you know, I think it's just such a stressful world. Excuse me. You know, communication is 24-7. The 
cost of living is going up. And so really what they're asking for is regaining that balance. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's forcing corporate culture to think differently about how they treat their workforce. Um, mm -hmm. And how do you really engage a different generation of people to do even more complicated tasks? Um, so that's pretty interesting. And I think how that plays into healthcare, um, I think that's really what population health and this value-based um, care strategy is really about. I think it's forcing, you know, hospitals to really think about, you know, acute care is no longer the center of healthcare. care. Um, right. So how do we invest resources into primary care, well-being and really community resources to help support um, whether that's kids or adults um, to have a healthy lifestyle so we can actually keep them out of the hospital? Um, right. So that's actually been pretty interesting to watch. I don't think it's fully played out yet, but I do think it's kind of fascinating to understand how the health system is evolving because of that. So interesting. So interesting. Yeah, I have a follow-up question on, on how value-based care differs at a children's hospital than, you know, another hospital. But I think before that, you touched on something about uh, employee engagement. And, you know, specifically at a children's hospital, I can imagine the nuances of stress um, I, I'm very fascinated about uh, healers, doctors, physicians, um, healthcare administrators that focus on pediatrics and children because the level of stress, it's almost like, oh my gosh, you know, this, this child was just diagnosed with this or they got hurt or now we have to tell their parents this piece of news. And that level, uh, for me, it feels like that would be very heavy, right? So it takes like very... Uh, a very courageous, brave person to be in that environment daily. Like, can you speak to at all, like, you know, from either from a millennials perspective or from, uh, from an employee engagement perspective, what are the, what are the differences that are, that make the difference with engaging the workforce uh, that, that, that supports in a children's, children's hospital? How do you make sure everyone's not super stressed or going through PTSD or, you know, having a good time, but also, you know, striking that balance. Is there any, you know, nuances that you've seen that are really important? Yeah. So the other thing I'm really struck by in the pediatric world, and I know a lot of organizations talk about this in the healthcare space about being patient centered. I mm -hmm. think in the pediatric world and children's hospitals, naturally, everybody wants to do the right thing for children. Um, so I think first and foremost, even from a decision making perspective, it really does come back to what is the right thing to do for the child. Um, and that is very striking. It sounds kind of straightforward. But mm -hmm. really, from our perspective, it's really helping people um, find hope um, get the care that they need, and perhaps even get those breakthrough cures through research and other avenues. So that's really what we're focused on and really trying to make sure that kids can live their healthiest lives possible. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think from a workforce engagement perspective, people are really drawn into that mission and that vision. Right. Um, I think that people always want to do what is right for kids. And I do think, you know, as leaders, it is our role to make sure that we're empowering our teams. We're listening to them to say what's going on in the organization. You know, what are some 
things that you're seeing that could be better, whether it's unsafe or not ideal for taking care of kids. And let's be sure that we're escalating those because people really know that at the front line. Um, Mm -hmm. So how do we as leaders listen to people and try to make sure that we're addressing those? Um, So that from a really process perspective, I think we have opportunities and we certainly take pride in making sure that we're listening to our workforce um, Mm -hmm. and our physicians and everyone um, who touches our patients to make sure that we're making it the safest possible environment for kids. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we also offer resources. This is fairly typical in organizations, but I think in pediatrics, we're very sensitive to the fact that people see very difficult things. Um, And so making sure we have resources where people can feel like um, they can really talk to somebody and, you know, really work through that stress. I think kids they just want to play. They just want to have a good time. You know, for them, they're sick, but I think we probably feel it sometimes more than they do. Um, And so I think that's really kind of a shining light in the lives of a lot of our care providers is really Mm -hmm. just to see kids being happy. They just want to play on the unit. They just want to watch movies and have fun. And um, so I think it's kind of a balance of all of those things. But, you know, we really try our best to make sure that our teams have what they need and they feel like they can tell us what we can do to help make it better. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, what are some some maybe silly things you've seen for children that like in the hospital that that make a difference to make make give them that sense of play or relief or fun? Like I was scanning Facebook the other day and I saw a high school friend, uh, uh, her child uh, needed like some more platelets and, and um, you know, some care. And they brought in Fortnite for him to play. And he's like super happy. Like, what are some things that you've seen that really work to make the child feel at ease or playful? Because obviously they can be stuck in bed. They, you know, love to hear about one or two things. Yeah. So actually recently, uh, my youngest son, um, he's 18 months old. He actually was Mm. recently hospitalized with flu. Um, And so we came, of course, to Seattle Children's. And uh, it was really just it was so cute, you know, like he gets admitted to the unit and it's just the little things that people do. Um, so mm-hmm. I had agreed that we would participate in one of the clinical trials of one of the research studies that they were doing and they needed him to sit still. So the two researchers, it's a physician who's very, very well qualified, um, has been doing this work for a very long time. Um, and her research nurse, they were dancing around the room and just like making him smile and giggle and just sit still. And he was just so fascinated by this that, I mean, he's 18 months old and I'm sitting there taking notes like, wow. How do they do this? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. like I need to learn these tips at home or something. But um, it's just little things like that. It's bubbles, it's toys, it's basically Mm -hmm. anything that you need. Um, And I think the other thing I found as part of that experience that I really appreciated is it always came back to say, mom, what do you need? Like, are you okay? Um, But I think it's those types of things that just create kind of that wraparound care for families. Um, Right. And part of that is engaging kids and making sure they're still finding joy. But I think mm-hmm. it's also just providing that support for the parents as well and right. you know, the caretakers. So um, there's all kinds of, and I'm sure, you know, online you could find a lot of these types of videos. But, you know, you see all the fun things like dancing and all the things that go on in the units. But really the people who I think gravitate towards pediatric care, um, they really just want to do whatever they can to make that child feel good. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's super, it's super cool. It's interesting. Yeah. And one would think it's like, there's, there's probably, oh, well, a children's hospital needs a large, larger budget in these mod in these days, you know, they need to be able to buy, you know, Xboxes and VR units, but it's really more, it starts more with philosophy and kind of the little things like, yeah, bubbles, super, really inexpensive, or maybe a squishy ball, but you know, having the team to, to actually, you know, do these things and then, you know, cater empathetically to the parent as well, probably doesn't require a more uh, incremental budget. But um, circling back for Deepta, on value-based care, right? So, you know, you work in a space where you're using process quality technology systems to scale really good things like this, right? Like, um, or things that make a difference. Uh how is value-based care different? And do, does value-based care today, like at a children's hospital setting, does that bear with it a lot more opportunity? Is there some excitement and innovations that come with value-based care? How is it different than you know some of the other hospitals you've been with? So I think we're learning a lot about values-based care and population health in the pediatric mm-hmm. space. Um, I mean, it's fairly new generally to the industry. Um, I think adult healthcare has kind of moved down that pathway a little bit faster. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the one thing about pediatric care is, you know, a lot of the amenities, um, children's hospitals, um, they have a lot of people who want to give. And so that's really nice to kind of do the niceties Mm -hmm. of care. Um, You know, I think one thing that we think about is regardless of how the payment structure is set up within healthcare, it's really thinking about what's the right thing to do for families. Um, You know, and healthcare pricing is certainly one of these things that's fairly controversial. Um, Mm -hmm. But just thinking about for everything that we do, is that value adding to the patient's care? Is it value adding to the family? Um, And if it's not, why are we doing it? And so I think part of it is really starting to streamline how we spend our dollars, um, making sure that we're doing the absolute necessities um, to provide safe care, and then really starting to evaluate the things um, that perhaps we can live without. Um, Because ultimately, it's the payers who have to foot that bill. um, And if not the payer, then it's the family. Um, And so we're Mm -hmm. really self-conscious about that and really trying to make sure that um, we are kind of moving towards that values-based model. So Mm -hmm. um, it's fairly new. I don't think the payers have really pushed much on it and we're just starting to dip our toes in that space. Um, Right. But it's probably coming. We just don't know when. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point, you know, when it's coming or, or, or to the future, Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your vision of the future. What has you excited about the future of health? Um, Maybe some things you believe in health that have not been proven yet, or maybe some things in health that other people think are crazy. Love to hear a little bit more about your, your thoughts here. Yeah, one of the things I'm actually really excited about, I'm not the expert on this topic, but um, artificial intelligence. I think that Mm -hmm. is something to be on the lookout for. Um, I think healthcare is very dependent on humans. um, And Mm -hmm. I think that we tend to believe that humans are the most reliable means for decision making and delivering care. Um, But I actually think if we could figure out how to leverage technology um, more, and I think AI will play that big role, we finally have data through our electronic medical records that we could probably leverage for broader context and information to really start creating risk-adjusted protocols and algorithms and 
I think that could probably have a significant impact on safety, reliability, and efficiency, and just how we reduce that variability in the care that we provide. Um, mm-hmm. I know Stanford had done a study that tested AI um, for identifying skin cancers and actually found that it was as accurate as a human performing that function. Um, so mm-hmm. that's just one idea out there of how to use it. But I think there is a lot of innovation in that space that's yet to come. Um, and I actually think we could even use it to help reduce the high level of burnout that we're seeing with our clinicians and our workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, because the reimbursement structure, I think, People have heard this generally, but doing more work with that declining reimbursement structure, it's just not sustainable. And so thinking about how to leverage artificial intelligence and even just technology further um, to replace some of that human intervention, I think it'll be complementary. And um, hopefully those are the types of things that can also help us reduce reduce a little bit of that cost of healthcare and really use our valuable human capital most effectively. Um, so that's yeah. something I'm watching and I'm learning a lot about. I'm trying to learn about. It's yeah, it's intriguing. It's it's fascinating, right? So you have, um, I guess, a lot of that data from the employee standpoint is not necessarily in the EHR, right? Like, you know, when when the physician, how long they've been there, what they've been doing. I, that's more like in the HR system, right? But it also tells a story when you can converge that data with the electronic health records. And then there's obviously all these other data sources that can probably feed the algorithms to predict. And then you got to take a step back and really say, well, at this point in time here, here's the sensitivities to the employee that the management and HR team need to be sensitive to to prevent that burnout. Or, you know, if these things are done here, it could improve retention and prevent this person from leaving. Is that kind of what you're you're thinking on the, the use case? Or? Well, I'm actually thinking more even in the clinical realm. So, right. you know, I think electronic me- medical records, um, depending on who mm-hmm. you ask, it's a blessing or a curse. Um, right, you right. know, it for the first time, we're able to actually put patient data into systems um, mm-hmm. and really hopefully start optimizing it and building a workflow um, and creating that continuity of care for patients. But I think mm-hmm. the challenge with that is you need people to enter all that information into the record. And so you hear from um, clinicians, whether those are physicians or nurses or whoever, that just the amount of documentation to meet regulatory mm-hmm. requirements, um, just to make sure that we're documenting the patient's story, I mean, that can really get cumbersome. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think part of it is that we hear that there's burnout on the clinician side and are there ways that we can start using um, AI and technology to kind of do more routine clinical type tasks or decision making that right now we need people to do. Um, right. I think the other thing is, you know, in terms of just physician workforce um, and clinician workforce more broadly, um, there's a projected shortage in the future um, of physicians. And so how do you start to make up for that um, when you actually need physicians? And is there a way to leverage technology to kind of take on some of that? And again, you're using your human resources the best you can um, with the supply that you have. Um, Right. So still learning a lot about it, but, and I, I, this is great. Yeah. yeah, And I don't think that we've, uh, really adopted it very well. So I think that's all to be determined. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's, it's an exciting time. Lots, lots in front of us, lots of data, lots of systems. And it just, you know, obviously it takes, you know, passionate professionals um, that could focus on that system layer to, 
you know, start to assemble these pieces to, you know, get some really good projects up and running. Like the Stanford one, like you cited, was was pretty powerful. And there's there's so many more opportunities emerging that, you know, just takes, you know, brave professionals like like yourself to, to you know, to dive deeper, you know, with them. Um, Pradeepta, I know we went a, a little bit over on, on the showtime, uh, the usual showtime, but super interesting. I'm sure we can talk forever. What I'd love to do is have you back on the show you know, have you, um, you know, maybe towards the end of the year, speak about some of the other initiatives that you're working on. But um, Pradeepta, for our listeners that want to get a hold of you or engage with you, what's a good way for them to contact you? Um, I think LinkedIn would be best. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Pradeepta, thank you again for being on the show. And to our listeners out there, again, this is the Pop Health Show. This is for people passionate about making people healthy. Thanks so much. Thank you.